Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our special guest, DeFi Dad. He is the chief DeFi officer at Zapper and the host of Yield TV, amongst many other things that we'll talk to him about. So, hey, DeFi Dad. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Diana. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Very happy to have you here. I know I know some people refer to you just as dad. I hope it's okay if I don't call you dad. I just call you yeah. DeFi dad. Yeah, um, yes. So yeah. before we dive into Zapper and Yield TV and all the things you're involved in, I want to know a little bit more about your crypto and DeFi journey. So take me back all the way to when you first heard about crypto. When was that? How did you hear about it? What piqued your interest? And then how did you eventually start learning about DeFi? Yes. So my crypto journey goes back to 2017. I've not been in the space very long. (laughs) Based on like where I started, I always kind of feel like I'm still a newcomer, but it's been what, three or four years now. So in mid 2017, you know, that was the height of a, of another bull market. And I had some friends at work. I I was working in San Francisco at a, a very typical sort of tech startup. And a number of my friends had said, man, you should check out Ethereum. You would like love this. To, to which I, of course, said, what did you just say? And, and they were like, yeah, Ethereum. And I was like, is that like an element? Like what, what is Ethereum? That is, that, is that, that's a real word. And uh, I remember I watched a video by Vitalik at the time, which I then made it seem even weirder to me because it was just Vitalik trying to explain the world computer and me listening to all of it, not really knowing Bitcoin very well, other than knowing it was like a digital currency and nothing else. And so I had just had my first child. Uh, our first child was about a year old. So during that like uh, mid to latter half of 2017, I would spend a lot of time, like most moms and dads, putting my kid to sleep. And I would basically be in there every night rocking him to sleep. And after I discovered Ethereum, you know, I, I started to listen to podcasts. I started to, uh, uh, it was Laura Shin's Unchained podcast that really got me hooked. And I started reading the Bitcoin white paper, the Ethereum uh, white paper, whatever color paper it was. And uh, I stopped coming out of my kid's room after like, you know, 20 minutes. I would be in there for literally four or five hours. He would just sleep on me as a baby. And I would listen to podcasts and and read. And I think it was by October. I mean, I had been doing this now for for weeks. I bought my first small bit of Bitcoin. And then I heard on the Unchained podcast, Laura Shin mentioned that there was this conference called Ethereal that was going to happen in San Francisco. So I I, uh, skipped work, bought a ticket, spent a whole day sort of being in awe of like all the crazy sci-fi like ideas that were being built on Ethereum. I was hooked. I mean, I basically then spent the next six to nine months applying for jobs. I actually 
at the time, I was like, I don't think I'm being generous. Like Laura Shin had such a big impact on me. Like part of the reason I got into crypto was because I met Laura at the conference and she was very welcoming and warm. You know, I basically said, I listen to your podcast and I love it and just really appreciate what you do. And she kept in touch with me and and was like very, very helpful about recommending places to look for jobs. And I eventually, after like stalking consensus, um, I got them to hire me as a project manager and kind of as like a marketer. So I worked the next two years from July 2018 all the way through the summer of 2020. And uh, most of my time there, I I worked across lots of different uh, DeFi teams or really was mostly Ethereum just based teams at the time uh, that were incubated. And I was working as kind of like a mercenary marketer, like hopping team to team. But going into my second year, the Ethereal Conference. So now we've come full circle. The thing that really convinced me to leap into the space uh, suddenly had a gap on the team. They needed someone who wanted to work on programming, which I loved. I was like, so this is all about storytelling. This person gets to craft the narrative of these conferences. And you know, no disrespect to my colleagues there at the time, but I thought we were missing the mark. Like I thought we were not going after the right narratives that decentralized finance was just starting to get bigger. I thought that the conference did not reflect an Ethereum centric lineup anymore. Uh, and this was in the heart of the bear market. So I, I think I I wielded some influence then for the next like year and a half there. Like I, I got to spend all my time meeting founders in in uh, Ethereum and DeFi and trying to come up with like, what's the story that's going to inspire the next generation of founders on Ethereum. And so anyways, this leads to today because sometime in the summer of 2019, as I was putting together the the next lineup, I started trying uh, different DeFi applications. So I was booking, you know, like a Robert Leshner to come speak at Ethereal and because my background had been working in software and I would normally like demo software to potential clients or I would work with customer support to like implement someone who was buying software, I uh, I started playing with it. And the skill set that I had, you know, which was essentially like selling, demoing, consulting on like how software can, you know, solve your next problem. I suddenly realized the skill set was valuable for the first time in several years. Like I no longer had to be a developer uh, to contribute anything. I started posting on Twitter about it. I basically like shared my experience of like, I'm lending on Compound. I'm earning about 20%. This is nuts because you can put in a dollar or you can put in a million dollars and you're earning the same amount. And then I tried pull together and then I tried token sets and then I tried Zerion and then uh, it on and on and on and on. And eventually I started making videos and I, I think like, I don't know, the rest is history. Like going into the DeFi summer in 2020, started making lots of videos and lots of tutorials. And that led me to realize I I wanted to move on from consensus and work full time on a DeFi team. And um, Zapper, I had been, I had fallen in love with the Zapper product. And so Zapper was kind enough to hire me in uh, the summer of 2020. I think your story is so cool because you really dove right on in and got plugged in with the community, which I think is one of the best ways to get involved. And you were also working at a full-time job when you first 
got into the space and really took advantage of the, you know, the podcasting and learning while you're doing other things like putting the baby to sleep and things like that. And I think that's a great example for a lot of people who are hearing about NFTs for the first time and getting into the space through NFTs and wanting to learn more about other things in the space like DeFi and not having the time to, well, you know, like a great way to do it is just to get some podcasts on your uh, Rolodex and cycle through those while you're at the gym, while you're taking a walk outside, putting the kids to bed, doing whatever. And I, I think you can actually learn a lot uh, that way. So I think that's a great example. And so for people who are just getting into the space, what, how would you explain DeFi to them in sort of like a short, you know, one minute clip in a way that gets them excited about it and wanting to learn more? Yeah. Um, so decentralized finance it's rebuilding what is the traditional financial services world, which is mostly like banking services. You know, most of us have a banking account. Most of us have a savings account. That account today, unfortunately, pays very pitiful rates, normally less than like 0.05%. What's different with DeFi is you take out all of the middlemen and overhead that, uh, you know, really is what powers traditional finance and you replace it with software. So DeFi is automated money software and different than Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is meant to be like a store of value at this point. At least it's meant to be a store of value. Um, you could say Ether is another store of value. It's also a medium of exchange. But what happens in DeFi is you have lending and borrowing and trading and insurance and options and every other basic parallel to the traditional finance world, but it requires none of the people that power that traditional world. It's all about creating a flywheel that is automated software. So it, it's, it would be very similar to like replacing the U.S. Postal Service with email. DeFi is email for your money, and it's about saving you time. It's about saving you money. It's about making your money that much more efficient. Um, and that that's really, that's the future. That's why people talk about it like it's the internet of money. I mean, it's it, in its most like simplest use case. I just recently in the past year, we bought our first home. It took almost 45 days to go through a process of submitting all this paperwork, working with probably about 10 different people to get approved and to ultimately sign paperwork that says we own the home. Sign like we signed literally a mountain of papers in the end. In DeFi, I can open up a loan in minutes. Um, the difference is, is the DeFi loans that I open up, they, they're not uh, fixed rates normally. They're normally variable rates. And, and uh, we're not at the point where we can borrow more than the amount of money that we're willing to deposit and put up as collateral. That's that's really, that's the thing that has to happen next in DeFi in order to actually replace the mortgage industry. But anyways, that's DeFi in a nutshell. Yeah, so I, all of that sounds really great. So what do you see as being some of the biggest challenges or biggest barriers that are preventing the mainstream from getting into DeFi? Uh, okay, so there's there's a number of challenges one of the most obvious is wallets. So when you put your money into Bank of America, Bank of America shows you on their website, they show that let's pretend you have $1,000 in your bank account. You actually have a credit of $1,000. They have an internal ledger 
and they they can loan out, I think it's up to like 90% of the money they have. Uh, so there's lots of people that benefit from the money that you deposit there. In DeFi, you're, you're talking about one ledger that is, it's a settlement layer that exists across the entire world. And we're all able to deposit and withdraw from that and send value back and forth between one another. And one of the challenges is this wallet. The, the wallet in crypto in most cases, makes you 100% responsible for your own wealth. And, and so if I have a, a mobile wallet like Argent or Dharma or Trust Wallet, there's a seed phrase. Everyone you know, has had to write down a seed phrase um, unless you use Argent, which they don't have them. Now, if you lose that seed phrase, there is no one that can save you. Like your money is gone forever. So just the wallet experience, the 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 fact that like you can actually lose all of your money, that it is it's truly like holding a thousand dollars under your mattress, except I think it's it's much easier to store cryptocurrencies in your mobile wallet versus keeping a bunch of cash under your mattress. Um, there's that. I mean, one of the things that we're solving for at Zapper is we're just trying to make DeFi easy for, for everyone. And what's hard about it is there are often a lot of steps involved. So there's a complexity to DeFi. Um, if you want to participate in a yield farming program, you have to know that you need to go provide liquidity and then go stake some token and then collect the rewards. Really, what we're trying to do at Zapper is consolidate all of these steps and give you a few clicks. You know, it should feel like your banking experience on Bank of America, where you're just clicking around and a bunch of magic is happening under the hood. Um, and in DeFi, if we want to take advantage of all of these um, these new automated, you know, money softwares. We've got to make it easier for someone to access that. So if you go to zapper.fi, you can track your your whole portfolio. Um, you can also enter all sorts of sophisticated investment opportunities in DeFi, but Zapper allows you to do that in a few clicks. And then I'd say the last thing is, so we covered wallets, just the general ease or complexity of DeFi. You know, the last one actually is is pretty obvious. So Ethereum is the mainland for, for DeFi right now. We've started to see uh, DeFi grow on other blockchains like uh, Binance Smart Chain uh, is, has been the largest. Polygon, which often gets mistaken as a layer two, but is actually another blockchain. So that's, that's another side chain of Ethereum. And then we have layer twos that are coming. The issue right now is that the demand for block space on Ethereum has become so overwhelming. There's there's so much growth that happened with DeFi. There's so much demand for people to participate in decentralized finance that we're, we're all competing. When we try to transact on Ethereum, think about it as like, there's only so much room in the party and it comes down to how much are you willing to pay to be at that party. And the cost of being at the party has become very, very high. That cost is called gas or we call them, you know, like a transaction fee. And so, you know, when I started lending to Compound in the summer of 2019, I was paying like maybe a dollar, maybe 50 cents to deposit. Now, I mean, it could cost $30 just to deposit some money. So what we've done is we've boxed out a lot of people in the world 
who desperately need a censorship-resistant form of peer-to-peer finance. And, and we've boxed them out because of the cost. And so I'm, I'm very excited for layer two solutions like Optimism and Arbitrum and, and others that, you know, ZK Sync is another one that really are going to help us to get to the point where we start paying a few cents per transaction on Ethereum. So let's dive a little bit deeper into Zapper. So again, it's Zapper.Fi. I'm actually on Zapper.Fi right now. I see my wallet's connected. I, I can see the whatever's in my wallet, and then I can see my NFTs. And then there's all these features at the top. There's Exchange, Pool, Farm, Bridge, which is a new one. So I want to just dive into each of these and break it down for people who maybe aren't familiar with what some of these terms are or what some some of these concepts are and things that you can do on Zapper. So the first one, exchange, this one is probably the most straightforward. So you can exchange uh, one cryptocurrency for another. And do you want to talk about like, what are the different types of cryptos that are on here? Like all the main ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, all of these, are all of these available on Zapper? Or what are the special ones that people can exchange on Zapper? Yeah, so so today Zapper um, supports uh, Ethereum, and it also has some partial support for Binance Smart Chain and Polygon. Uh, really, the main use case is anyone who has DeFi assets uh, invested or DeFi investments or just tokens. You're just let's say you're holding some Ether or a stable coin like Dai or USDC. If you go to zapper.fi, all you do is you can paste in your wallet address or you can connect it with whatever wallet you use. And now you can see a real-time balance of where all of your money is, whether you have tokens, whether you have uh, collateral because you're borrowing, how much debt you have, yield farms, liquidity pools, it's all there. Um, That is the most popular product. That is a product that I I would say if... um, if anyone could ever bring together enough data across all the different DeFi applications, I think that Zapper dash f- dashboard is like a top three application. Then there is uh, the exchange is for swapping. It is a DEX aggregator. It is only for Ethereum. You can also do it on Binance Smart Chain as well if you flip the network to BSC. Um, so those that that is like a Google search engine for the best trade Um, in terms of the rate and in terms of reducing slippage. Let's pretend that I want to trade on Ethereum and I know that Uniswap is is the world's biggest automated market maker or decentralized exchange. You don't go there. You don't go to shop for your flight at United and American Airlines and Southwest Airlines and all. You go to an aggregator. That's what a DEX aggregator is. So go to zapper.fi slash exchange. The next tab is our pool tab. So there's 1,500 liquidity provisions there. Those are, just think of it this way. Most of DeFi revolves around enabling there to be enough liquidity for us to trade in and out of different tokens, uh, enabling us to do all sorts of other magical things like borrowing and lending and so on. So if liquidity is one of the most important underlying like success factors in DeFi, then being able to provide liquidity and earn rewards for that is going to be a very important core function in DeFi. So anyways, we have 1,500 plus uh, LPs. You can start with any token as long as it's on Ethereum and you can enter with that token and we'll swap it out into the right uh, proportions and 
after that, you're now holding uh, a part of a liquidity pool to allow people to trade and you're earning rewards on top of your tokens. Um, the last part, which I think is probably the most, I think the most popular part of Zapper outside of our dashboard is uh, there's zapper.fi slash farm. So we have, I think we have about 600 farms there. Now we'll very soon have a thousand or more. In DeFi, there are endless programs that allow you to help bootstrap liquidity. So you you provide liquidity and then think of it this way. You, you then deposit the proof that you are providing liquidity because you're signaling, hey, um, I'm providing liquidity and I want to get paid for doing that. And so they'll have programs where you continually earn rewards for that. And it this is this is the story that's come out of DeFi in the last few years. You know, there's programs where you can earn 100% on your stable coins. There's programs where people have earned thousands of percentage uh, in terms of APY, uh, providing liquidity and then uh, staking liquidity provision in a farm. And then anyways, the last part of it is, is our bridge. Uh, we believe that DeFi will probably remain a hub on, on Ethereum, but with all of the different interoperability and bridges being built, um, we wanted to enable uh, users to be able to transfer their assets from Ethereum to Polygon, to Binance Smart Chain, to uh, other chains like Phantom. There's all sorts of other ones that we haven't hooked up yet. But the, the idea is one day we'll probably see investors moving money across these different chains. And we want that to be easy to do. And, and that's why we put that into the Zapper Bridge. Got it. Thank you for breaking all of that down. So when you think about your user base right now, would you say that it's still mostly crypto natives or would you say that, you know, uh, with DeFi summer last summer and just more and more people getting into DeFi that you're starting to see more and more of the mainstream in your user base? Yes. Yeah, so there's two different users that, that I know are key to all of DeFi. One is Anyone, whether you're new or advanced, you need to know where your money is. You need to know how much of your money you have. Like, can you imagine if you had your money in E-Trade and Robinhood and uh, Chase Bank and you couldn't figure out how much you had? You had to, like, keep it in a notebook. Like, that is actually how DeFi was functioning for some time. We were just keeping tabs open and looking and being like, oh, yeah, I got 20 bucks in compound and $100 here. Um so Zapper Dashboard is very important to help you know where your money is at all times on-chain across as many wallets as you want. The other part of our user base, though, are, I would say, more sophisticated investors that want to become uh, market makers, or I call them liquidity providers. Um, there are those who want to participate in yield farms. Now, you don't have to be super advanced to do that, and that, that's our goal with Zapper. We're putting all these tools in one place tools that, you know, used to exist across multiple platforms. You had to like basically know how to navigate a lot of steps and a lot of different websites to participate. By putting it all in one place and reducing it to a few clicks, we think that the future is opening up more access to more people to be able to participate. So yeah, I'd say the, the, the other half of it is still a fairly sophisticated user base, but we're actually, we're trying to over time shift those that are the beginners using just the dashboard, we're trying to introduce them to, hey, there's all these other opportunities. If you hold XYZ token, 
Did you know that you can lend it here? Did you know that you can provide it as liquidity in a pool here and earn 100%? Um, we think basic, it's not meant to be like a recommendation engine, but I almost want to call it like a discovery platform for DeFi. Yeah, for sure. I love seeing all these crypto and DeFi platforms you know, shifting their messaging and their education to cater more towards the mainstream, because I think ultimately that's the goal is to get everybody on DeFi. And so we need to start right now reaching out to the mainstream with that message. So where do you see DeFi being um, in a year from now? Or what are some trends that you see in DeFi in the next year? One of those trends is we're going to start to see transaction costs go down. So this is this has been a great problem for for the point of thinking back to two to three years ago when the markets were unraveling from 2017. I think many of us had a moment of realization that wow, the expectations of what we're building are so beyond where we actually are at this point. And now everyone is figuring that out. And so we had this crazy bull run, which I was I was only a newcomer at the time and you know, I did what everyone did. I, I bought some tokens and I was probably underwater for the next like two to three years straight. But what happened then in the middle of that bear market is that DeFi grew and DeFi grew from 500 million in the summer of 2019 to a billion by, I think it was the end of January uh, 2020 to, I think it was 20 billion by the end of December 2020 to now we're I think over 50 billion. I, I I don't even check it. I used to like it used to be something I looked at daily, but like the numbers are so wild. I think that we're now at that place where there's been so much demand to participate in DeFi that it created this urgency for us to scale Ethereum to provide solutions that will allow us to transact at lower costs. So what Ethereum is, is working on now, there are multiple teams with different approaches to what are called layer two solutions. And, you know, you're in Chicago, so like, it's like the L. You know, everyone lives in Chicago. It's a very busy place. What happens if all of us walked along the streets every day? It would get busier and busier and busier. Now, if you, if you think about the fact that the route that we take, what if that cost money, like, what if it was a bidding war of who's willing to pay the most money to be able to walk on the main thoroughfares in Chicago? Layer two is when you introduce the L, which is an elevated train. If anyone doesn't know Chicago, you introduce the, the L. And so L2 solutions allows us to batch transactions and for the average user to pay a fraction of what they would have paid otherwise. And there's already layer two solutions that are live. You can trade on Loopring, which is a, a DEX. Uh, it costs a fraction of a penny per trade. Those same trades would cost $30, $50 on Uniswap. And soon we're going to get to this point where Optimism is, is one major one that's going live that has synthetics on it. Oh, I'm sorry. And also Uniswap. Uniswap is going to go live on it this summer. So we're going to see Uniswap go live and synthetics this summer. Now the number one DEX or automated market maker, Uniswap, that is going to be live on L2 suddenly everyone's going to be trading for a fraction of a penny. So that's going to be a sort of watershed moment for the DeFi space this year. I think another trend is that's already been taking place is uh, as much as I would rather trust my assets on Ethereum because of the 
The security and decentralization gives me a greater assurance that I'll be able to claim my assets, that someone isn't going to like box me out of the Ethereum network um, versus something like BSC um, or any other sort of like side chain. But I think multi-chain, that, that's a box that's been opened and it's not going to shut. So we're going to continue to see uh, DeFi grow and flourish on other chains other than Ethereum. But I think Ethereum is going to remain like the epicenter of all of this. Like it's, it has, I mean, I I don't know how much is on BSC as of today, but, you know, I've, it's, what was that? One point Ethereum was like, you know, 50 billion and BSC was less than 5 billion. But anyways, uh, they, they've made a lot of strides in terms of adding uh, more builders on their chain. So there's, there's that. Uh, I'd say maybe the last thing is just, the, the the DeFi user experience will continue to get better. I think we have some of the best designers in the world in terms of fintech. I think fintech will just become DeFi. Like if you're building in fintech and you're building an application and it's not on Ethereum or it's not DeFi, I, I think you're going to get laughed out of the room because why would, why would anyone want to compete with uh, DeFi where there's less regulatory risk. There's a global audience that you can cater to. So you're not, when you work on FinTech, you're working within a lot of strict regulations um, that are very antiquated, that you know really like were created for a world before the internet. And so DeFi, I think, is gonna continue to flourish there. My one fear with that is, even though I just said like you can build, I think, with a little less concern for regulation. I mean, the truth is most teams in DeFi exist under some sort of regulator. And so that, that's another part of the story that it's a less positive part of the story. I think we're going to start to see, I don't know, uh, more interest from regulators and possibly some fears that grow amongst um, the community about like, how are we going to prevent regulators from clamping down on DeFi innovations that are happening halfway around the world, completely out of their jurisdiction. So first of all, I love that analogy used of the L. I'm I'm gonna steal that and start using that too to explain gas fees to people. Uh, I, I love that. And then also, so if we're thinking long term then, like if all goes well, okay, however you define well, if all goes well, where do you see DeFi being in 10 years? Let's say it's the year 2030 what what is the DeFi ecosystem? How are people interacting with it? Yeah, his okay. So there is is it Jim Bianco? I'm I'm probably mispronouncing. Yeah, Jim Bianco is uh, like a well known analyst in traditional finance. He was recently on Cami Russo's podcast for the Defiant. So I, I'm I'm calling this out because I'm kind of just like repeating what he said because I, I really liked it. Traditional finance has no idea what's coming. And DeFi is, it's it's not just going to be competitive. It is absolutely going to demolish traditional finance. After what I just went through, opening up a mortgage, and I, and I feel like I'm a part of a very like privileged group of people. The fact that we were able to buy, the fact that we were able to save enough money, the fact that we have wages that continue to grow year by year versus many people who, you know, haven't gotten a raise in 30 years. You know, we feel pretty lucky, but I can tell you going through that process is complete and utter bullshit. Uh, the entire uh, way that traditional finance goes about KYCing customers 
it's discriminatory. It leaves you in a place where you have no sort of privacy. You have to reveal every transaction, uh, you know, ever in your life. When I went through my own process, I mean, I was being questioned about a Verizon phone bill from over five years ago where they overcharged me and I wasn't notified for 30 days after and I paid it still, but because it was quote unquote late, here I am, I'm someone again, like I would say I'm a very highly qualified person to open up a mortgage. And I, I had the banks, you know, breathing down my neck about it. All I could think about is how does the average person do it? Like, I, I don't understand how people are able to, to be able to uh, open up a line of credit, to be able to, you know, be accepted for, for a loan that they desperately need. Banks love to loan to people who don't need money. All of that gets flipped on its head in DeFi. Um, today, DeFi, I do think, I think it is uh, a bit of a, it's a playground still. It's like a, you know, it's a digital money playground. And I'm not going to pretend like DeFi is not banking the unbanked yet, but we're on that path. L2, uh, the, once we get to layer twos that are are thriving with applications moving to layer two, now you're talking about people being able to to move their money whenever they want uh, without any permission for a fraction of a penny, 24 seven, 365, without any KYC. I mean, it's like asking someone who's been using email, how would you like to go back to writing letters? It would make no sense, and that to me is ten years from now. Yeah, I think that I th I think that the the banks are going to be absolutely swallowed. Will they still exist? Of course. Will people continue to use traditional financial services? I I, I don't think that they're actually going to die off. But like, I think the bigger question is so like I admire Coinbase, and I'm very I've been super excited and happy for them to have this moment of going public. I think Coinbase is even going to be in jeopardy 10 years from now. But they have, Coinbase is smart. They've made strategic investments in lots of DeFi. They clearly are thinking and pivoting about how can we uh, continue to grow and help people to be able to be more financially free in a world where crypto becomes, crypto becomes like the default form of payment. Um, and that, anyways, that's the future. 10 years from now, I mean, we'll still have naysayers about Ethereum and Bitcoin and DeFi, but like those people will look like, you know, the nut jobs that are like screaming in the middle of the street about nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally hear you on the mortgage front and I have a bunch of friends that are just starting to uh, pay off all their student debt right now. And apparently once you get rid of all your student debt, that somehow drops your credit score. Because it's like they want you to have debt and loans and things like that. And this makes zero sense whatsoever. You should be rewarded for, you know, getting rid of your debt and making payments and things like that. But like you said, it's the KYC process. It's it's so unknown to a lot of people and maybe it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And this is we're just talking about, you know, pretty privileged people like you and me right now. We're not even talking about the ways that underprivileged communities and, uh, you know, a lot of if, if you go deep into how the system is and all the inherent bias and racism in the system and how that affects certain communities with their 
financial and banking needs. I mean, you can really go down the rabbit hole there and talk about why everybody needs DeFi. Um, so going back to Zapper real quick, any anything exciting coming up for Zapper in the rest of 2021? Any new features or products that you can share with our listeners? There's a number of features. If you use Zapper, there's a number of features that we've been wanting to release for some time. Uh, one that is coming sooner is a mobile app. So you'll be able to just use Zapper the way you do on your laptop or on your mobile phone, but we'll have a dedicated iOS or Android app. Um, another thing is we will have a historical performance chart. So a, a really big missing piece uh, that we've been planning and just haven't been able to get out yet is uh, the ability to see a snapshot of your your portfolio, you know, based on all the endless factors um, over time. You know, there's a lot of yield farms where, you know, your yield farm uh, depends on how much you own of it. And it depends on, let's say, the APY of that pool. And it depends on the uh, the price of the reward token you were earning. So it, it's actually a very complex question to say, at this moment in time, how much was my portfolio worth? So that's something else we really want to solve. Um, I think Zapper is going to, a year from now, like people will will talk about how gamified it is. Like we're looking to really create an experience that, you know, has you talking about like the numbers that you're putting up, like what's the performance of your portfolio? What's the average APY? How often do you check into your dashboard? There's all sorts of uh, ways that we want to start to reward users for just using Zapper. And I'd say another part of it is just like, there's a fire hose of integrations. Like every new protocol in DeFi, we need to implement it. And it's a lot of manual work that we're doing now. We're, we are working very hard on a plan to open that up. So in the future, we'll no longer have teams submitting proposals like, please add XYZ protocol. It'll be there so that they can add it themselves. And, and that to me is, that will be huge. You know, like we want the, we want Zapper portfolio to be up to date. We want as many farms as possible and LPs that you can participate in. A core team of 10 people is never going to beat hundreds of thousands of DeFi investors or millions of DeFi investors. So, you know, we're, we're kind of following the path of every other team. Like, you know, we're looking for ways to either become an open source protocol or to follow the ethos of open source software and make everything easily available for you to plug into and, and to, um, you know, take advantage of Zapper. Yeah, and you guys are really doing a very good job with educating the public on concepts around DeFi too. And one thing that you guys have is Yield TV, which you are the host of, and this is part of Zapper. This is separate from your YouTube channel, DeFi Dad YouTube channel. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit more about what Yield TV is, how you got the idea for it, like why did you decide to start it, and then how is it different from your DeFi Dad YouTube channel? So I, I think I got hired on the team because of the the educational content I was putting out, which did include Zapper. And like, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, like with the role that you have on Unstoppable Domains. You know, I, I think that when you when you teach people, they feel a certain sort of loyalty to you. Like there's, you can sit there and talk your ear off about 
you know, I think that this token is worth so much money. But if you teach somebody, let's say, how to use a protocol to earn 50% on stable coins, well, now they're much more interested because people like to learn. And so I think Yield TV, like around the time I joined, I, I was just thinking of like, all right, well, like, what do I do well that fits with a model of growing our user base? Let's you know, let's let's start doing live content. And so with Yield TV, it's been a lot of interviews, but more recently we've pivoted, we've pivoted a few times already. Um, we pivoted into DeFi class. So every Monday I was doing a DeFi class where we would teach like how to become an LP, how to migrate your funds from Ethereum to Polygon or how to get started yield farming. So if you go to tv.zapper.fi, look up the playlist DeFi class. I think those are great live streams to watch. Uh, we do lots of screen sharing. I'd say it's probably the most standout thing about Yield TV is we, we just do screen sharing is 50% of the show and it's with founders in most cases. So it's kind of interesting because you're like learning how to do different things in DeFi, but you're learning from the founders who built it. And then... Um, I would say like the next iteration of that is, so we just launched today Zapper Learn. So that's at learn.zapper.fi. And that is housing blog posts on DeFi basics, like, you know, what is an ERC-20 token to tutorials, you know, tutorials on like how to participate in a yield farm to how to set up a crypto wallet. Uh, and then the the other part of it is guest posts by people who want to talk about different DeFi or yield opportunities. Um, so Anthony Sassano from ETH Hub and the Daily Gway just wrote our first one. And so, yeah, I, I mean, to, to sum it up without me rambling too much more, I think Zapper has been a great place for me because I this is what I wanted to focus on anyways. And Zapper is this amazing on-ramp for both new and advanced DeFi investors. I mean, it's a tool for the advanced DeFi investor. But at the same time, like we're not going to bring more people into our space without mass education. So the you know I think the team I think like our mission is to make DeFi easy and accessible for everyone. I, mean, I would say if God forbid, but if the team was like, "Yo, man, uh, we're letting you go tomorrow," I would probably be doing the same work. So you know it's uh, it's a good feeling. Like you go to sleep at night saying like I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not uh, going to live with any regret years from now. I think like I, I think DeFi is uh, like a once in a lifetime opportunity to work on, and Zapper has has been just such an incredible place um, to push that. The team ships faster than any team in DeFi. Um, I've learned so much about design from our co-founder Seb. Our, our other co-founder Suhail is. Uh, a wizard in terms of the ideas he comes up with for zaps, which are like DeFi shortcuts. So he keeps thinking about how to make it easier for people to click a button and and participate in DeFi. And so, you know, the, the team never, like, I'll put it this way. People are messaging all throughout the night. And it's not because we're like miserable workaholics. It's just because we're like, hey, man, did you see that new DeFi farm that went up? Like, or, hey, like, we should add this. Or, um, hey, what do you think about this idea I had? And so it's, it's um, yeah, it's a really special place. 
I love that. I think what you're building at Zapper is exactly what I'm trying to build at Unstoppable, but more from a Web3 angle and you're doing the DeFi side. So everything you just said resonated 100% with me and exactly like what I'm doing and my goals and vision and things like that. We should definitely collab. We'll we'll have to talk after the podcast about collaborating because I think what we're doing is like super aligned. Um, All right. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about is you also invest in a bunch of crypto and DeFi projects. You're an advisor for a bunch of projects. Can you talk about some of those projects and like, how do you choose which projects to work on? And, you know, before we started recording, you were saying you've been in this space now for a few years and over the last few years, you've, you've, learned a lot about which founders to invest in and which projects to invest in. So give us a little bit of insight into like, how do you decide which projects to invest in? Like, what do you really see as being promising for the future? Yeah, I mean, I got to say, like, interviewing founders is like one of the best ways to start to come up with theses about who you want to invest in and what ideas you think are the best ideas in DeFi. So most of my investments are, uh, they they are the same tokens that anyone could trade on a de- decentralized exchange. So most of my portfolio are liquid tokens that anyone has access to, which I point that out because it's, it's, I think, very special in DeFi that like a lot of us have the same opportunities because of the nature of just tokens get get created and they're immediately available as soon as someone's brave enough to provide liquidity on Uniswap. So, you know, some of those like, I mean, I don't think I was super early to it, but yeah, like I got into Curve really early because I thought it was nuts. You could earn 20% on stable coins. So that was the spring of 2020 before Compound launched their token and kind of created this whole DeFi summer of exciting yield farming. I feel like lucky now in 2019, I started uh, uh, staking in synthetics. I thought it was a really cool idea. Synthetics is uh, a platform where you can gain exposure to anything from like silver and oil to Tesla stock to uh, the Nikkei index to you can trade obviously Ether, but you can gain exposure to non-Ethereum tokens like Bitcoin or uh, you know, BNB. And so I, I was like, wow, this is kind of like a decentralized BitMEX. And BitMEX was thriving at that time too. You know, since then it's kind of had a little bit of a downfall because of regulators, I think, um, or whatever they've gone through. But yeah, so synthetics, uh, I saw the light on that. Ave, so Ave is a good example of one where I knew about Ethland back when I got started. I thought I, I couldn't understand the idea. Then two years later, they relaunched as Ave, and I interviewed Stani sometime I think in mid 2020, and I was like, "Wow, like these these guys like really like believe in the mission, and like seem to be very marketing savvy, but they're building like awesome products." And so there's an example of one where like just just listening to the founder, I was like, "You know what? I'd rather go down with this guy." you know, being the altruistic believer and builder that he is. I'd rather go down on a ship with Stani than, uh, you know, win with someone who I don't actually believe in. So those are a number of more public projects. Um, Also Uniswap, of course, like Uniswap, SushiSwap. I'm pretty, I have a pretty diversified DeFi portfolio in terms of those. The, I would say more recently, I've made 
some um, very small angel investments, um, which has been a newer experience. Uh, so I like to invest in ideas that don't fit the mold of those more obvious public tokens that the, the tokens that are already liquid that I can easily gain access to. So like I'm either an advisor or I'm an early investor to a number of projects like the Ethereum push notification service just launched their token. So that is a project that enables you to, uh, you can build a channel and, and the channel is, it's just like a telegram group. So you build a channel, let's say it's Aave, and then I subscribe to it and I connect my Ethereum wallet. Now, if I have a loan on Aave and let's say it's close to being liquidated, I receive a real-time notification through the Ethereum push notification service channel that says, hey, like so-and-so at this wallet. So I've, I've preserved my privacy. I, I've never doxed myself, no name, no email, just my wallet. And it'll tell me, hey, your, your loan is possibly going to be liquidated if you don't maintain it better. That's huge. To me, like being able to connect wallets to protocol teams, we're like the Ethereum push notification service is one of the most interesting projects that I met them a year ago. Um, they didn't have any investors at the time. And I was like, this project is so insane because it answers one of the biggest problems we have in DeFi. Everyone uses indirect lines of communication like Telegram, Twitter, Discord, Medium, whatever, social media. The, the Ethereum push notification service now allows me to create a direct line of communication to say, hey, um, so-and-so, there is a hack going on. Do not deposit funds into this protocol. Hey, so-and-so, uh, we have a new product. Here it is. Hey, there's a token migration. Please swap your token or else it will be worthless in 48 hours. All these things happen through social media right now um, or through Discord. And it's a nightmare. People are losing lots of money because it doesn't exist. So that's one of my favorite charge particles you had on recently. Uh, you can uh, basically deposit value into an NFT. So it's a wild idea that I think like the NFT space, the fact that you can take a token and you can say, hey, I'm going to charge up this painting with one Ether. Now the, the, the painting, the uh, digital uh, crypto painting has one ether in it. So it's worth at least one ether. Even if you think it's shit, it's worth one ether. And I think that's that's really valuable. Um, and then the other one I, I think I'm most proud of along with the others is uh, um, I'm an advisor to the Defiant. I have believed in what Cammy's doing since I met her in early 2019. I think she's one of the like boldest most admirable people that I've, I've met. Um, she's just, she's an incredible founder. Uh, and she is, she's operates with a lot of integrity, which I think is something else. Like all of the investments I've made, there's a few others that, um, that just, that I haven't mentioned, but all the investments I've made, I make investments in people that I think operate with a lot of integrity that are truthful that would rather tell the truth and like suffer the consequences than hide it. It's been a great experience so far. You know, like I, I, uh, I sleep well at night cause I think, um, again, I'd rather be making mistakes and maybe failing with people I believe in than to go down saying, well, I never really liked that person anyway and thought they, they, they didn't know what they were doing. So 
Yeah, we've, we've actually had all three of those founders from the three companies you just listed. So we had Cami Russo on first. She was episode 19 uh, from The Defiant. And then we had Harsh Rajat from EPNS on episode 30. And then Ben Lakoff most recently from Charge Particles was episode 38. So definitely go back. You can, you can get the full story on all three of those companies and really understand why DeFi Dad decided to invest in these companies if you go back and listen to those episodes. So last thing, DeFi Dad, looking back on all of your experiences working with all of these early DeFi companies and users, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned, whether it's what DeFi users want, how to be successful in the DeFi space as a company? And I think that also involves looking back in history and looking at things that have gone wrong in the past and things that are bad with our current financial system and uh, remembering that and being cognizant of it so that we don't make the same mistakes again. So any big lessons that you learned um, with either users or companies in the DeFi space that you can share with our listeners? You know, I can speak from a a user standpoint. It almost kind of goes back to the the question you just asked about, like certain investments. So one of the biggest risks in DeFi is, you know, you are 100% in ownership of of your decisions. Like you put money into something, you control it through your wallet, assuming that there isn't some sort of um, fraud going on where the team built a protocol and let's say they hold the administrative control to move funds, which is commonly called a rug pool, you are normally 100% in control. So in DeFi, and this actually just happened to me, my first hack uh, I experienced, it's like there's landmines everywhere. There are lots of people out there who are trying to exploit different DeFi protocols. So I can't even call it a hack. It's like they find a way to play by the rules, but to be able to basically, let's say, drain money out of a DeFi protocol. So a lot of those relate back to Oracle failures. So they basically, they manipulate the price and then are able to uh, do something to benefit from it. And it leaves people with less of their own money and it leaves the, the, the person exploiting with more of it. I mean, there's straight up just bugs in in code that allow them to, let's say, you know, uh, withdraw money that they shouldn't be able to withdraw. So like my takeaway from that has been, I don't want to put my money or put more than one or 2% of my money into anything that I can't buy DeFi insurance for. Nexus Insurance has been around since like July, 2019. They've got like, I think 750 million in active insurance right now. They call it protocol cover, but it's insurance essentially. I would tell anyone, if you intend to be in something for at least 30 days or more, like you're playing with fire to not buy insurance. It's like driving without car insurance. Um, And I've had a lot of people that have argued with me about this, that like, you know, you're already taking a lot of risk. And when you pay, in most cases, it's 2.6% APR. So if I'm in something for 30 days, take 2.6%, divide by 12, that's how much of whatever I've put in that I need to pay to protect myself, to know that Nexus will pay me out if there's an Oracle failure, uh, a financial incentive uh, that's exploited, there's a bug in the code. I just think it's nuts to be risking so much wealth. If you are lucky enough to build any wealth 
um, whatever amount of money that is to you, whether it's $100 or $100 million, why risk that when you know that you can get cover um, for it? So that's that's one of the most important things. And I guess it goes to risk management. Um, I'd say the, the second point then is, so if you don't know what risk management is, I would like Google it and start to watch some videos about what it means. In most cases in DeFi, it's similar to trading. It's about, we call it sizing your position. So if I go in and I lend $1,000 to Compound, sizing my position means I'm like putting in an amount of money uh, that in this case, I'm willing to lose. You know, like if I go into Compound and I don't have Nexus cover on it, then I could lose all $1,000 because there could be a bug. Um, There could be some exploit, even though Compound is one of the safest protocols. I think it's more battle tested. I think a lot about that. Recently, I lost some money in EasyFi. EasyFi is a compound fork that exists on Polygon. The team, as far as I know, based on their like report, it sounds like there was a lot of control to the funds that was being managed through a wallet that is not as safe. It wasn't a hardware wallet. And anyways, long story short, uh, it was like $75 million was stolen in their token. Uh, What I mean to say is this, I lost an amount of money where I was like, damn it, like that sucks, I lost it, but my life is fine, I will go on. Like I, I never put in more money than I was willing to lose. Everyone says this, don't put in more money than you're willing to lose, but people do it all the time. And I got to say, like, again, like I'm I'm hopeful EasyFi is actually going to fork and they're doing a lot of great work, I think, to try to compensate others. And I, I hope it works out. I, I've actually been very impressed by the way the team has handled it, despite the fact that it's it's definitely an inexcusable situation what happened. I felt proud in that moment of like, all right, I lost some money. But like I followed like my own rule, which was don't put in more than I'm willing to lose. So just think about that. I can play with more money if I'm willing to buy cover. I have way more money in Aave, but I buy cover from Nexus. So if anything happens in Aave, I'm good. Nexus will pay me out and I don't have to worry about that. So so there was, uh, uh, we covered risk management, insurance. You know, I'd say another thing is just, you know, this kind of goes back to Zapper and why I'm at Zapper. Just do everything to abstract away the complexity of finance. Finance is what is complex. DeFi is a mirror. It is a it is a mirror of traditional finance, but it's peer to peer. It's faster. Uh, you know, it gives you more control. It's more capital efficient. You know, it's powered by software. But at the end of the day, like the average person might not know what collateral is, and so. There is, there's a lot of challenges for us to try to dumb it down and make it like banking. You know, like I do think the banking industry has done a great job of dumbing down finance and tricking the average retail person into putting their money into the bank for absolutely nothing and being screwed, you know, by those banks over and over and over again. Now in DeFi, I'm not advocating that we we, we don't need to copy the practices of, I think, taking advantage of people who are less financially literate. But there's something to be said about the fact that they've made it look easier to participate in. So uh, the, the last point then, I guess, that goes with that is 
I think financial literacy is one of the biggest issues in the world at this point. And I, I can say that, like, I, I had a podcast recently with, jeez, uh, Pete, what is his name? Tyrone Ross. That's it. Jeez, Pete. Tyrone uh, V. Ross Jr. He's got a great show podcast through Coindesk, but he focuses a lot on communities that have been historically left behind by the banking industry. And my worst fear with DeFi is that we just pick up where they left off. We're like, hey, everyone, we created magical internet money software. And now it's only possible for those of us who, you know, were lucky enough to be more technologically literate or you know, whatever, had some leg up, uh, you know, there's a lot of people too who, you know, if you got money from mom and dad, like, of course, of course you're able to invest without worrying in DeFi. You know, you got some like trust fund, like it's much easier to risk an amount of money that you got from, from, you know, a rich parent than it is for someone who's like, I have, I have to pay bills to feed my children. I'm barely making rent. And you guys are telling me that I have to pay a hundred dollars in transaction fees. That that's rough. I've been really inspired by him and lots of other people like Andreas Antonopoulos. Like just they've really pushed hard on like how do we educate everyone? And and that's why I, I think we we try to do everything we can uh, to be publicly available through learn.zapper.fi, through tv.zapper.fi, and then through my my YouTube, defidad.com. It's all about like making it available for anyone who has an internet connection, at least. I, I can't help people that are not on the internet yet, but that's definitely something in the future. I'm thinking like, how do we reach that many more people on the ground who don't even have an internet connection yet? And somebody else that's great to call out in the space too, we had him on the podcast recently, is Isaiah Jackson, the author of Bitcoin and Black America. He's he's great at championing you know everything that you just talked about too. All right. Well, the last segment we do on the podcast before we close out every time is called Explain Your Tweet. This is where I dig through your Twitter account, pull out some cryptic or interesting tweets and give you a chance to explain it. I've just got a couple of fun ones here real quick. The first one is from April 16th, 2021. And this is unfortunately on the podcast, you can't see this, but this is a, a picture of your daughter in this amazing outfit. You'll just have to go to DeFi underscore dad on Twitter to see this, but just as my little future NFT artist. Well, first of all, I think this outfit is amazing and I hope that she does become an NFT artist one day. But I was also going to ask you, have you tried telling her about NFTs and crypto and how did that go? And I can't, I'm horrible at guessing kids ages. So I have no idea how old she is, but she looks young, but I have talked to people with kids that are like nine, 10 into the teens. And they all told me that it's way easier to explain NFTs and crypto to their kids than it is to explain it to like their friends, their peers that are their age. Uh, Yeah. Cause like my, my kids, uh, who are two and four, my, my daughter there is two and they don't watch a lot of it. Cause like, I, I cannot stand YouTube for kids. Um, I think it's just like awful. It's like literally going to put like a hole in their brain. It's so stupid. They're used to knowing that they have Disney plus and they know that I can pull up literally any movie imaginable. And so the fact that Everything is digital to them. I think like digital money will make complete sense to them. I have gotten them, I will say like, so I haven't really tried to explain it to either of them yet, but I got them both a, a 
piggy bank and it has four separate chambers. One says like invest, one says donate, one says save, and one says, I think it's like enjoy or so it's basically meant to be like a, like a, a 25% for fun. You know, they do like little chores around the house. I, I mean, we, we're very imperfect about this. Like everyone, we, we, uh, I don't want to make it like we're, we're not super strict on this, but they do some chores and then we give them quarters at the end of the week. And, you know, as soon as I would say like, so my, my son, thankfully he, he's four and he does not have a mobile phone. Like I don't want to give them phones cause they'll, they'll never, they'll never do anything again if they have a phone. But yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking about paying them in, in like ether eventually or paying them in stable coins. I guess the main takeaway from this is I think that what I said about the financial literacy, it's a reflection of where I come from. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a very middle-class family. I, I think I had a great childhood. Um, I think my family would be very poor living in today's society with how much it costs to live. But then we lived a wonderful life. My parents knew nothing about finance. We had a bank. We had the crappiest savings rate. I don't think they ever invested in the stock market. I'm pretty sure when I went off to college, um, I was subsidized by uh, the federal government's uh, programs. And there was a killer alumni network where I went. So I, I basically went to college mostly for free because I was on the lowest end of the totem pole. I did not trade a stock until I was like 28, maybe. Like, so I guess what I mean to say is like, I got into DeFi because I was like, wow, all of this is so interesting, what you can do with money. And then I've got to say, like, I've several times, you know, either embarrassed myself or just got checked myself. Like, you know, I marvel at times at things you can do that already existed in uh, the financial services uh, world. But in DeFi, the fact that it's automated by software is fascinating to me. And, and that's why we need to teach our kids how money works. It's really, really, really important or else basically someone else is going to teach their kid or other people who already know how to use the system. They're going to use it and they're going to put their money to work and your money is going to become more and more worthless because inflation is about to destroy the US dollar. So, Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that was a huge gap in education for our generation is we never really learned about financial stuff in school growing up. And hopefully they change that for the next generation, because then you have all these kids coming out of college that are like, okay, now I'm supposed to manage my own finances. Like wh where, do, where do you even begin with that? Nobody ever told me how to do that. What, what does that mean? Like, I don't, don't even know how to pay my phone bill. <laughs> like why, why are kids who are 18 years old being forced to choose a major and choose a college without someone saying, okay, so if you go to this college, it's going to cost this much money. Now, if we forecast, um, you know, how much that will add up over four years, you're going to pay $200,000, $300,000. Okay, your rate on your loan is expected to be, let's say, 5%. Here's how much money you're going to have to pay off yearly in order to pay it off at that rate as it, as the debt continues, you know, the interest continues to compound. No one does that. I guarantee you a lot of people would stop going into certain majors and saying, I'm just going to do this, which then would bring to light why we need to pay people like teachers much more money that we've like somehow 
we've we've denigrated the occupation of those who have some of the most important impact and influence in our life on our kids, which are teachers, like their wages are not keeping up with tech. Why does some idiot tech bro make that much more money? I worked in San Francisco and I can tell you there's so many worthless idiots working in tech in San Francisco and they are being paid an unreasonable amount of money and they're being paid it in many cases because mom and dad worked in tech and they pushed them along and they said, just do this. And then they said, hey, it's okay. I've got a friend. Uh, my friend will, uh, you know, my, my friend's an investor in the company. That's one of the best ways to get in. He's an investor. He'll vouch for you. You get in and, and you start to climb that totem pole. It's bullshit. It's more bullshit from the legacy world. And I think one of the ways to beat it is to understand how money works. Because once you realize it, you're like, hold on a sec. I'm paying people to basically move around my money and take a very small cut that actually adds up to a lot of money over time and eats away at the potential returns. Why am I doing this? I'll just use DeFi. I'd rather risk it all. I'd rather risk all the money in these different protocols. I can buy DeFi insurance like DeFi Dad told me to. I can size my position. I can learn how these things work because I could make potentially, you know, a whole nother level of generational wealth in DeFi versus continue to be owned by a traditional finance system that rewards the rich for being rich and it punishes the poor for being poor. So... I, I have made that exact same speech that you just did so many times. I agree a thousand percent. And I think there are plenty of other people out there who are on the same page as us. And hopefully somebody does something to change, you know, does some work towards changing the system. You can't, uh, but anyway, all right. One more quick tweet to close this out. This is from one. That was supposed to be quick. You're like, what happened? I, this is this is okay. This is going to be a quick one for real, though. This is just funny. This is from April fifteenth. You said, "Am I the only one who sees Doge bulls as a Nickelback fans of crypto? You want to believe it's a joke, but it's not." So a little harsh towards Nickelback, but I think it's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. The if anyone's listening to this in the future, it's April twenty first, twenty twenty one, and yeah, there's um there's a lot of friends and family who I told over the years to buy Bitcoin and Ether um, and other DeFi-related tokens. It's a kind of a, I don't like going down that path because it's like, it's like a, I told you so. But the the reason I bring it up is I've had a number of them come to me and say, hey, um, I've seen this Dogecoin. I'm thinking about buying it. And I'm like, hold on, wait, wait a sec. So you bought Bitcoin at, uh, one relative in particular. You bought it at 15,000 in 2017. You sold it at 7,500 after it fell 50%. I told you that this can go the other way. You sold it then, told me you thought it was going to zero. Then you came back to me at $20,000 Bitcoin and said, oh, I think it actually has upside, but now it's too late. And now you want to buy Dogecoin and it's up 7,000% fifth in market cap. I'm like, this is crazy the amount of people that are going to lose money. But anyways, that being said, I'm not a Doge hater. I personally don't hold it. I wouldn't I I actually would 
recommend against holding it, but good for everyone that has made money off of it. And I love that the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban allow it as a form of payment. I think it's hilarious. Like uh, Mark has a good sense of humor when it comes to that stuff. So I think it's very funny as well. I just hope that people out there, the mainstream, the masses understand that this is funny as well and don't take it too seriously and just like quick tip for anybody who's totally new to the space listening to this is if there's no product behind a cryptocurrency probably don't hedge your bets there dogecoin if anyone has never dug into it it was created as a joke by someone meaning to sort of like mock the crypto industry and and he was someone who was already into crypto and it's been something that just existed for years and years. People buy it, they, it pumps, it dumps, um, but no one holds it with any sort of serious intent as an investor. But every every so often, it comes rearing it comes rearing back as as like this crazy meme coin. And uh, again, I I normally had thought it was playful, like. A year ago, if you asked me about it, I, I would have said, oh, it's funny. Like, you know, if you buy it, it's like a collectible and you can like tip people for zero transaction fees. But now that people are like screaming about how they're a millionaire and there's people, you know, who are very arrogant about the fact that they've become wealthy from it. I'm like, yo, you are absolutely going to get wrecked on this thing. That is, that's how it works. The louder you yell and scream about how great you are, the more the market punishes you. Like, and the fact that that's happening is a scary signal that this bull run might be coming to a top. But I'm still very bullish on crypto. I think we got plenty of room to run. So For sure, yeah. I, I had bought like $20 of Doge back in the day because I have a dog and I love dogs and it was just funny. And I used to like, I used to like shit post about it on Twitter all the time. But now that this has happened and I'm seeing that like a lot of people are actually taking this very seriously, I'm like, oh shoot, I can't even like joke about this on Twitter anymore because people are actually taking this to heart and I don't want to negatively impact anybody's wallets like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, when people start yelling at you for warning others too, that's, that's like another warning sign. Like, okay. Um, I've got like, you know, X, Y, Z, 22 year old screaming at me, you know, that I'm just jealous of like their wealth. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not that much older than you. And I, I'm totally happy for the fact that you suddenly are are rich, but like you're only rich if it stays there or if you sell it, which I can tell you when things go up 7,000% in one year or seven, God, it's like 7,000% maybe in like 30 days or 90 days. I'm like, it's, it's scary. It's time to like, if TikTok is screaming about it, that that means you're you're ready to sell. Um, but but then again, I said that back in January, and it's gone up so much since then. So then, you know, I've I've had a bunch of friends who are like, ah, like, look, man, you were wrong. And I'm like, you're right, I was wrong then. But eventually things do come down. So just, you know, if you were lucky enough to hold on to something that went up that much in value, I'm not talking really about, I think. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and um, you know, DeFi, like, like these are these are backed by outrageous global communities and and products um, that are being used by millions, um, if not billions, in the near future. But something like that, it was meant to be a joke. <laughs> like, just be careful, you know. Like, it's 
hold, hold, hold it if you if you want to. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it, it goes up another thousand percent in the next 30 days. But, oh, man, like someone is going to lose a lot of money on Doge. Yeah. So in conclusion, everybody, Doge is a joke. Don't take it seriously. <laughs> we mean that in a nice way. We don't mean it in a mean way. It's no, like a, no. It's like a fun joke, like a joke between yeah. all, all of us friends that we can laugh about. So make it a better joke. Cash out your Doge. Be a millionaire on pay, be a millionaire in real life with it, and then you can absolutely talk about how funny it was when the price crashed and and you had sold out just before it crashed. That that's a great story. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, DeFi Dad, before you go, tell people where they can find you on your Twitter, plug your YouTube channels as well, and then give people a quick summary, a quick reminder of, of all the cool things that they can do on Zapper.fi as soon as they go there and connect their wallet. You can follow me at uh, DeFi underscore dad on Twitter. Um, I like to you know post as often as possible about just like I think very level headed tips on like what I'm looking at in the DeFi markets, but like more importantly, how to actually use DeFi. Um, and then uh, make sure you follow Zapper underscore Fi. Uh, you can try Zapper at zapper.fi, connect to your wallets, track your portfolio, trade, become a liquidity provider, yield farm, all sorts of fun there. And then please do uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, which has been much less active the last three months. Um, we've been doing a lot of great work at Zapper. I'm, I'm looking to do more of my own videos in the future again, but just uh, whatever. For better or worse, like I, I've, I've been uh, inundated with lots of awesome work at Zapper. So um, if you go to defidad.com, there's a list, a playlist called DeFi for Beginners. It's a combination of DeFi 101 explainer videos I created with the Defiant. It's a combination of DeFi tutorials I did on my YouTube channel, and it's a combination of DeFi classes that we did through Zappers, uh, Yield TV. So I think that's all my all my shilling. Amazing. Amazing. We'll include all of that in the show notes. Thank you again, DeFi Dad, for being here. I can't believe we're almost at an hour and a half in and I feel like we could just keep going, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something new about DeFi. I, I know you learned something new about DeFi from this episode and we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.